welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about sexually charged smallpox inoculations so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Alex and Eliza by Melissa De La Cruz. Joining us to discuss this Hamilton fanfiction is Andrea, one of Marvel's Hamilton fangirls. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us. I love talking about smallpox. (laughs) (laughs) We just don't get enough of a chance to talk about smallpox. It's true. It's true. By the way, I just want to say at the top, you can probably hear that I'm sick. I'm going to try not to talk too much, but I don't have smallpox, so don't worry about it. I'm going to be fine. I mean, it would it would fit in with our reading books about people who have the same ailments as you. That's true. And, you know, I haven't actually gone to the doctor, so I guess I don't know for sure that I don't have smallpox. But I yeah, don't think I have any of these symptoms. Checked out. <laughs> Let me just check WebMD real quick. Uh, um, so it's. This is the start of, we're doing two episodes this month on Hamilton-adjacent properties. Uh, This is the first one, and it is very fitting that Andrea is on this episode, because as all of you know, Renata and I met in Rent Fandom like a million years ago. Uh, Andrea and I also met in Rent Fandom a million years ago, and we sort of got closer again after like a friendship break because of Hamilton, so it's it's very full circle. This feels very full circle. It does. And it's like talking to you, you know, talking to you guys about theater stuff again, which, Yay. except talking about it a lot more professionally than we probably would have done it, like, 17. Yeah, well, yeah, let's pretend. Let's leave it at <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> I was a moderator, okay? <laughs> I was, don't joke, I was like 22, 23. I was just trying to make myself feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, So if you're unaware, this book cropped up clearly very quickly after uh, Hamilton Mania hit. And in the um, author's notes, the author note, the author notes um, that... Mm she did not get the idea to write it or start writing it until after she saw the show for the first time after the Tony Awards. So this was a very quick writing and turnaround period. And I kind of feel like it shows. It does. And like, it's, it's so strange because the notes and like the cover and the marketing, like they did not get any kind of endorsement from Lin-Manuel probably because if he read it, he would have just, like been dismayed by it like the cover (laughs) is like a very clear like knockoff like instead of Hamilton standing on a star it's like their silhouette standing on top of a heart and it just it wants you to think that it wants you to look at and think of Hamilton the musical and there's like there's chapter titles that are quotes there's like a couple references in the narrative that are very clearly quotes like there's a part where I imagine they were trying to imitate Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy in that cadence, except that because of where it was in the narrative, it had to be Eliza, Angelica, and Peggy, which does not have the same cadence, but whatever. Yeah, that was so weird. Yeah. Um, it, it, it very clearly is trying to latch on to, like, Hamilton mania, which is fine. Like, I'm all for that. I'm still campaigning for someone to write the John Lawrence young adult novel. But she does not seem to grasp the things that make Hamilton 
I think, how did I put it when I wrote it out, that there's, like, things about Hamilton that are historically inaccurate, but, like, work really well for the story and are very appealing. And then there's things about the actual historical events that are very interesting and appealing, but she veers away from both of those things in a third direction. Well, I was going to say that... um one of the things that stuck out to me like when I was reading about Alexander was that Alexander is very Lynn, which makes sense. I mean, everything that I was reading when he was talking, when he was thinking, it just evoked that. Um, I mean, if you've, I, let's say, if you've seen Lynn, which like I'm sure a lot of people, I not how many people have seen like, the musical, but Lynn is, uh, like his Hamilton is, is very frantic and... Um, kind of like all over the place and that was Hamilton as a character but I feel I feel like the characterization is kind of surface in a way and it doesn't really get deeper into like who Hamilton really is and and then I, I just I feel like there's just a lot of missed opportunity like this could have been a really interesting fun book and a lot of it was just really surface well and like if you look at the musical like, there's kind of this Angelica Eliza Hamilton triangle that's set up that's that's not historically accurate exactly, like, because at that time, Angelica, like, already was married in real life, but they did have kind of, like, an intense friendship, question mark, relationship anyway. But this takes... It puts a, a really, like, contentious relationship between Angelica and Hamilton, and also she's not already married, so it's like, why? Like, you you aren't more accurate, and it's, like, less compelling now. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, there was that. There's And they lean very hard into Eliza's Not Like Other Girls, which, like, historically, Eliza, she was also, like, very smart, um she was a tomboy like she liked being outside like she did have some of the qualities that this eliza has that aren't as evident in the musical but like this book pushes so hard that eliza's the smartest sister and she's the most patriotic and she's the most conscientious and she's and like there are parts of that that are not true to historical eliza not true to Eliza in the musical and it just feels very jarring to read it feels like Melissa de la Cruz like looked at Hamilton and looked at Hamilton fandom and it was like you know what people like Angelica too much Eliza is like an underappreciated character so like let me just like let me work with that and just I, I don't know like she has this axe to grind against Angelica it feels like and like why yeah it made me so mad reading it like she definitely treated Angelica as like not that smart and not that like thoughtful like shallow yeah the whole point is like if you read anything even if you don't really know much musical if you like listen to anything I mean Angelica was the one who was really smarter like Angelica was like the smartest person in that family like she was so bright and and it just it's yeah, kind of like crapped on in that way. Like it makes her, it's just kind of a disservice to um, the way, like even the, like the way she was written in the musical, um, like she's strong and she's smart. And in this book, she's just kind of um, 
it's kind of there. Like she's not, she's not compelling. And, and I get it that you want Eliza to take the center stage. This is a book about Alex and Eliza, but I feel like there was a way to do it without like dehumanizing her character. And especially because a lot of this is from Eliza's point of view. And, like, those sisters adored each other. Why is... It's, like, sort of from Eliza's point of view, but, like, with the worst possible interpretation of her own sister? I don't know. Yeah. And it's very, like... It's like they needed a female antagonist for Mm -hmm. Eliza. So they were like, well, obviously it would be Angelica. When that... No, that was not ever what that was as far as we know from, like, reading historical documents. And it just, it was one of, like, two character assassinations in this that boiled my blood. Um, And it, like, rereading it and rereading those parts about Angelica. Like, when I first read this, after Renata read it first, and she was like, there are so much smallpox in this book. (laughs) So I I had to read it because I was so curious. And the first time I read it, I was kind of like, well, this is annoying and brushed it off. And then rereading it this time, like it just made me so mad because I was excited to read this. I read it very shortly after it came out. Um, I haven't. No, I did read one of Melissa De La Cruz's other books a while ago, and I thought it was fine. Like, I know she's an author who's like popular and has written a lot of books that are like generally well-liked, so I don't know. I, I think, like Kate said, this came out just so quickly after Hamilton. It, it was very rushed, um, apparently. I don't know. So well, I, well, I did. I wanted to like this. I'm, I regret that it is worse bestseller worthy, but it is. I mean, yeah. I was in, uh, like, Renata, I was in your boat that when X, I had read, I had read some of Melissa's other stuff. Um, you know, I knew of her because I know a lot of YA authors and, you know, I know her from work. And so I was really excited when I saw she was writing this. And, like, I'm not going to lie, I am that person who, like, I looked at the cover and, like, oh my God, I want to find, like, it's appealing to me. I am their marketing, like, direct <laughs> demographic. I have, I have no problem with that but like but I was really I was, I was really excited to read it because I was so deep into the Hamilton fandom and this seemed like when I was looking at the book it seemed like it would be a good uh kind of like a good bridge between fan fiction and like historical stuff and, and I love historical stuff it's just so hard for me to get into like all the dense like Cherno stuff and I was like this is gonna be a fun read it's gonna be like a really good balance of everything I liked and and yeah I think it was just um like you know again going back to what Kate said it was just a lot of hasty writing and marketing and um and I'm sure on the surface it read like a really good retelling but um when you go back and look at it it doesn't really hold up yeah and like i love eliza she's like one of my favorite characters in the musical grief for angelica and i'm sad for eliza because she deserved better uh john lawrence also deserved better (laughs) tell us how you feel about that kate i am so mad (laughs) i mean 
on one hand, like, first of all, obviously, I was very disappointed that they erased Hamilton's bisexuality in this book. But, like, I kind of get it the same way, like, I kind of get why it's only subtext in the musical and not text. You know, there's only so much space, whatever. But then, like, to be, like, not only to erase... Hamilton's bisexuality but to be like oh yeah like Lawrence like he's charming with the ladies he loves talking to women and like trying to get them to like him and just I was very angry about that I especially because like if a you're going to to decide that like oh I'm not gonna address the fact that he was most likely gay but to also, like, have him be single and trying to pick up women when he was historically married, like, right. there's an out for you if you really don't want to, like, dive into that can of worms. Like, all of the historians who are like, oh, no, unless they write, like, I love sucking dick in my journal, we can't actually say that they're gay. <laughs> um, I so mean, that irritation. I was going to say, I, I will say that I don't know if it's because I've spent so much time with Kate or just because I have a one-track mind, but I also found myself very upset about this erasure, um, which was like, wow, was like I really care about John Lawrence and the fact that there is no, like, Alex Lawrence here. Um, and I feel like it was, like, I feel like it could have fit in really well, which, again, kind of goes back to the whole, there was just so much, like, missed opportunity for how this book could have been constructed in a way that kind of was like a really good fanfic where the relationships are fleshed out, um, the the historical things are kept in, but they're also tweaked to um, kind of appeal to like the demographic. Um, and I mean, also one thing that I thought was interesting was I think when I read some reviews, uh, it was said that there wasn't, like there wasn't really a lot of historical stuff on Alex and Eliza. Um, like, so a lot was, like, historical liberties were taken, which I guess makes sense, but they also erased John Lawrence, so I have feelings yeah. about that. It just, like, the whole... And there was, like, a second where I thought they were going to go with it when Lawrence leaves for a reason that was not the reason that he actually left. Like, that whole thing was invented. And, like, Hamilton is so distraught that, like, every time he writes a... I'm sorry to inform you letter. He writes John's name instead of the name he's supposed to write. And then that's like immediately dropped. Like he goes to see Eliza because like he needs comfort because his best friend is going off to die. And then he's never mentioned again. <laughs> and I just am mad. But why don't we go into the plot summary? And we can address some more of these historical inaccuracies <laughs> and irritating things along the way. So the book is about Eliza and Alex's courtship, and it starts the first time they meet, which, if I am recalling correctly, the first time they met was when Hamilton came to deliver correspondence to her father, there was not, I believe, a big fancy ball that he was disgraced in, which is how this starts. The Schuylers are throwing a ball, mostly because Mrs. Schuyler wants to marry off the three daughters and needs eligible bachelors to come. And Eliza, at the very beginning, they're all getting dressed for the ball, and Eliza will not put on the fancy dress that was picked out for her because there's a war going on. 
Sorry, that was a great comic quote. There's, now a, that's there's a war going on somewhere. I know. <laughs> there's a war going on out there somewhere. <laughs> and Andre is a here. Yes. He wasn't invited. <laughs> and Eliza just can't believe that she is supposed to dress in this fancy dress when her dress was made from American cotton, so it's patriotic. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why don't... And, the other two sisters are like, oh no, like, we'll wear our beautiful dresses, we don't care. But Eliza, she's pure, and she will not wear the dress that came from Britain or whatever. I um, think with that, they were really trying to set up the whole, like, Eliza doesn't, Eliza won't do this because she's headstrong and she's, you know, defying everything. And also, Alex is the same way, and that's why they work together. Like, they were kind of setting up, like, that dynamic, but it didn't really work for Eliza's character. Yeah. Um, Because I think also, I don't read a ton of historical fiction, but something that I have, like, read blog posts about and something I've noticed a little bit is there is kind of a tendency of, like, we're modern readers reading this, obviously, and so a lot of this stuff is, like, very old-fashioned and whatever, so there's a tendency for for the heroine to be like, oh, I don't like corsets and I don't like this because I'm different. And, like, to us, that's more relatable because we're also like, yeah, I'm not wearing, like, a hoop skirt or whatever. Yeah. But it's it's not necessarily, like, correct and it kind of does a disservice to, like, every other woman who was wearing that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, also sort of leans into the whole, like, you need to present yourself in a certain way to be a real feminist. Which is a whole other can of worms that is gross. But, yeah, so there's the ball. Um, Eliza on the stairs hears that Hamilton is here to deliver a court-martial to her father and decides she immediately dislikes him. And at the ball, he, like, tries to flirt with her, and she and her sisters, they, like, crush him. They just like wipe the floor with him in front of everyone else and which it's is... like like on one hand is kind of funny but it's also kind of a bummer because like their scene in the musical is like so funny and so cute where like you know they're matching wits and whatever and here it's just like he's speechless and they're like you're not even a real soldier you're just like um Oh, what is it? You know, you just like write letters. Like, what are you going to do? Get paper cuts? And also, they're like in the musical, they're portrayed as being like so like excited for each other and so um, supportive and whatever. And it just, it doesn't make sense kind of that they would team up and like be quote unquote supportive by making fun of him. Like, I mean, like Angelica was like obsessed with him. (laughs) Like, she. I mean, she wanted him before Eliza did. Like, it just does, it's just a weird, um, it's just a weird yeah. It's a weird choice. A lot of his book's a weird choice. So that happens, and then he has to sleep in the barn because <laughs> they're out of room in the house. And there's this whole thing where, like, this dude is being rude to women so Hamilton steps in to save them and it's like the first time they see like oh like also he's not a terrible man um and then like the sisters and their suitors also step in to kind of dress this guy down once he starts talking shit about Hamilton and as revenge the guy sends 
Hamilton a note that seems like it's from Eliza saying that he'll meet him in the hayloft, and obviously that never happens. Uh, and then three years later, Eliza's going to Washington's camp to hang out with her aunt and uncle, who are the doctor and smallpox expert, I guess. Yeah. Which I guess camp. historically... Because as soon as I read this the first time, I was, like, immediately Googling, like, every combination of, like, Elizabeth Schuyler or Smallbox? Like, what? And, I like, historically, there's some signs that, like, um, her uncle was this doctor to, to Washington's camp, and he was interested in the smallpox inoculations, and it was, like, cutting edge at that time. But yeah. most of this other stuff is just, like, this what like what it's also what i feel like it's just a weird plot choice to do the smallpox thing like i mean i I get they were trying to or she was trying to figure out like a way for them to mean and like a story hook and all that and i don't know maybe smallpox is weirdly sexual and or at least it it seems like it's weirdly sexual um as we will read but it it just seems odd to focus on that when there were so many other things happening in this period that yeah. could have been relevant. Maybe she's trying to reach out to like anti-vax Hamilton fans. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them out there. I mean, <laughs> I love historical hip hop, but I hate vaccines. <laughs> Uh, so on her way to the camp the carriage that she's on breaks and Hamilton just happens to be on the road so he like offers to help take her to camp because there's like only two horses and one of them like one of the other women the other woman in the carriage like broke her ankle so she needs a horse and and there's not enough I just want to dig in a little bit more into this because I think it illustrates a couple of the like pervasively annoying things that run throughout this, which is Eliza is very, like, fat shamey and just, like, very generally judgmental of this other woman who's, like, her chaperone. And so, like, the woman, like, slips because she's, like, she's, like, so clumsy and, like, she's fat and, like, whatever. And then everyone is kind of, like, rolling their eyes about how dramatic this woman is because she didn't, like, really break her ankle. But then she has to be, like, thrown over the back of the horse and it's, like, very comical because she's, like, fat. And then there's no room for Eliza. And it's, like... like, And this happens with, like, a lot of other ladies except for the Skylar sisters all very thin and hot. And, like, why? Why? Yeah. It was... And it was very unnecessary... They're like, were other ways that they could have had Hamilton meet her on the road, but he does. And like, she gets up, they have to ride a horse together to her aunt and uncle's house. And like, it's very scandalous because she has to like rip up her dress because her skirts are so voluminous that that's the only way he'll fit on the, the horse with her. And he like touches her waist because otherwise he'll fall off. And she like is scandalized and angry about that. And all this stuff um but he drops her off at her aunt and uncle's house and then like calls on her the next day to see if she's feeling better and she doesn't want to see him yet and somewhere around here like her feelings towards him shift 
And she, like, realizes that he's not just, like, a scoundrel asshole, but, like, he's secretly a good dude, and she's not been giving him a good, a solid chance. Why? I can't remember. Why Why does she suddenly well, have a change of heart? Sometimes that, like, he mentions, like, oh, you never came to visit me in the barn, and she's like, why would I? How dare you? And he's like, well, you left me that note, and then they realize, like, years later... Years later, there is, oh, is that other guy who was a douchebag at the party? Ha ha. But then she's like, but why would you even think that I would? And he's like, well, because of the note. And it's like, it goes on for way too long. But I think yeah. somewhere in the resolution of that, they come to terms. Yeah. Um. So Eliza's at the camp to, um, she's helping her aunt do these smallpox inoculations that, as Renata implied, like everyone thinks is like witchcraft. And several times people say, if God didn't want us to get smallpox, he wouldn't have made smallpox. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole and, thing in of itself. <laughs> and also, like, uh, Lafayette and Lawrence are two of the people who, like, are freaked out about smallpox inoculations. And, like, not to, like, constantly be harping on Lawrence or anything, but that's kind of my, my shtick. Uh, he studied medicine for a hot minute, and I know that, like, smallpox inoculations were, like, cutting edge at this point and not, like, super accepted by lots of people, but I just, like, for all of the people who are like, no, I think it's witchcraft, like, why would you choose him? I don't know. So she's giving smallpox inoculations, and then, like, Hamilton comes over to voluntarily get one, and it's much more sexual than I think really it needed sexual. to be. It I, I feel like this is supposed to be, it's like, oh, it's a YA book, so we can't, like, really make it sexual, but we're just going to have sexual innuendo, and this is how we're going to do it, with smallpox, as opposed to other situations. That would make any amount of more sense. <laughs> um, like, again, I feel like this is probably the the prevailing theme on this podcast but like why smallpox of all things like i i don't understand i don't either um so like at this point they're like openly flirtatious with each other and he comes around for dinner a couple times and she's like real into him at this point and then her sisters show up for a visit and angelica's about to elope with john barker church and Peggy is, like, into Stephen Rensselaer, who, like, her sisters kind of make fun of her for liking him because he's so young and, like, nerdy. And Hamilton tells her, like, you can't, you know, if you, if those are your real feelings, like, you just need to tell your sisters not to make fun of you. And she's like, oh, my God, thank you, Hamilton. <laughs> this is amazing. And tells them and like also like that gives more credence to Eliza's like oh I like this guy um but then Angelica gets a letter from their parents that they're like very very out of money because the British ransacked their second property and like bankrupted them so they all have to marry for money and Eliza has to marry for money, too. And before she shows this letter to the rest of them, when they're having dinner with Hamilton and John Barker Church and Stephen von Rensselaer, she, like, publicly dresses Hamilton down and humiliates him in front of everyone. And is just like, you know, oh, our family comes from money, so does Stephen, so does John's. 
your family is poor and no one's ever heard of you and you're an orphan and you're not a real soldier and like you're a garbage man who's in the garbage and doesn't deserve to marry my sister it's super mean it is it's like it almost feels like it's middle schoolish like the petty middle school stuff and that's and again with kind of like the dumbing down of like who eliza really was and like it's just kind of an insult to her character and i mean really to all like the the sisters who were supposed to be smart and funny and supportive and all that and it just feels just so I don't know, like, literally the only way I can describe it is middle schoolish because it's, it's like, that immaturity. Yeah, it's totally over the top. And, like, with what she says at that time period, if she was a dude, they would be having a duel afterwards. Like, it is, she does not leave any survivors. And then afterwards confesses to Eliza and Peggy that her parents asked her not to tell them, but, like, they're broke, so Eliza needs to marry this other dude. Uh, and they're already engaged. Her parents figured it, worked it out. And like, that is what is going to happen now. Sorry, Eliza, you have no choice in this. It, it, the whole thing feels very, again, like, you know, these are sisters who loved each other and supported each other. And more than that, like, they're both eloping with people their parents didn't necessarily, because for all this talk of like, you have to marry for money, like, and this is true historically as well, but Peggy and Angelica eloped and did not have their parents' blessing. So for them to turn around and be like, but you, Eliza, you have to marry this other guy who you don't want to marry and who's kind of an asshole. And did, this did also did not happen historically. So this is made up and feels very flimsy. It just, it feels, it kind of feels like you know, she saw the musical, she did a little bit of research, but there wasn't really a lot of research on what she was writing about specifically, and she wanted to, like, differentiate her story from the musical a little bit, but she kind of went in the complete opposite direction by doing that. Um, like, it was almost, like, too over-the-top in saying well you know this is like my retelling um and it's just it's different than what you'll find in the musical but it's also kind of the same but it's really not it's just the the characterizations are completely different and if you know anything about the musical or if you've you know read anything about the characters it is completely jarring like I was I felt like I couldn't even a lot of the times I couldn't even enjoy what was happening as just like, oh, this is a fun book. Like once I realized kind of where it was going and got enough into it because I was just so jarred by all the character choices that I didn't agree with. Here's what I think. Here's two pieces of what I think happened. Um, in the author's note, Melissa De La Cruz says that her daughter's favorite character was Eliza. So I think that was part of it, of just being like, I, I don't think Eliza shines enough in the musical. So just to make sure everyone gets that Eliza was awesome, let me just, like, shit on the other two sisters. And then also, and this is speculation, but I feel like she must have gone to, like, a museum or a website or something that had, like, fun fact, the Skylar sisters' uncle, like, was a smallpox inoculation innovator. And she was like, great, that's the detail I need 
no more research needed. Bye. Yeah, like, I, I, I feel like people are going to respond to this podcast by being like, oh, well, it didn't have to be, like, perfectly historically accurate. And it didn't. Like, Hamilton the Musical itself has a lot of historical inaccuracies in right. it. And that's fine, because it still tells a good story. Right. If this was a good story... I would be less concerned with the fact that, like, there's all of these glaring historical inaccuracies. Because I feel like you have to have one or the other. Either you're telling a good story and it's not historically accurate, or you're telling a historically accurate story that is not necessarily, like, the most exciting thing ever. And this falls into that no man's land in the middle of not a great story and glaringly historically inaccurate in places. I think that's pretty much exactly what what it is, or at least like what it was to me. Like that, um, like I feel like that just perfectly sums up how I felt like I, when I was reading it. Like there was just no middle ground of like, well, I could enjoy this book even though you know this thing exists in it, and I just couldn't. Like if you recall. We fucking loved Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. So we are not the podcast that's like, <laughs> it must be historically accurate at all costs. Like, no. I don't know what you're talking about. Lincoln absolutely killed vampires. <laughs> uh, well, he did, but then the book didn't have Harriet Tubman's contribution in them. So, like, fuck it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just so they they introduce this this other suitor for her, and like he is such an over the top cad. He literally um, moves the infirmary to a brothel so that he can throw a party in the house that the infirmary was in Which, to celebrate his note, upcoming wedding. Side note: Just have the party in the brothel, dummy. Yeah, like, what? It is, he is, like, a mustache-twirling villain. And if that whole thing isn't enough, uh, later on, he stumbles, like, super drunk into Eliza's house and tries to assault her. And luckily, Hamilton is on his way to that house for whatever reason that I can't remember right now. Here's the reason, because... He heard, oh, he heard from a drunk soldier that Eliza had eloped, and then he was like, I don't believe it, I want to check it out. And he had this realization of like, oh, Eliza didn't choose this other guy over me, I didn't give her the chance to choose me, because I technically didn't propose. So he has this, like, sort of drunk idea of like, I need to go propose, slash see if she's already married, and if she's not, propose. Yeah, so he, like, shows up just in time, and he and another soldier, who I'm not sure if he was a real person or a fictional construct, um, he's not one of Hamilton's friends that I've ever read about, like, the other (laughs) aides-de-camp, so I am tempted to say that he was a fictional character, because I don't understand why they would go with him and not, like, Meade or McHenry or anyone else who Hamilton was friends with, even if, because at this point, Lawrence has gone away to South Carolina for historically inaccurate reasons. Or Lafayette, like, it's this rando. Um, So he pulls this guy off of Eliza and tries to challenge him to a duel, but he's passed out, so it doesn't count. Um, (laughs) Which also at this point, and obviously, like, Hamilton's gone off the rails a little bit because he's so upset that this guy tried to hurt Eliza, but Hamilton was not necessarily very cool with dueling at this point as much as, (laughs) 
in the musical we think he is. Like, he actually was very kind of against that duel that Lawrence got into um, over Washington, with Lee over Washington's honor. He, at this point, is still, and there's other ways to solve your problems mindset that clearly he loses when he duel when he challenges the entire you know republican party to a duel later on in life yeah so so this guy they find out that he like tried to assault her and that he was drunk and that he was not conduct unbecoming of a soldier uh but his father is still like well you're you're still gonna marry him because your parents need the money and they're not gonna say no and he owns you now so suck it up uh like, again, I feel like the assault thing was some weird attempt at super dramatic, like, high stakes that would also highlight, like, why Alexander was, you know, meant to be for Eliza and all of that. And I don't know why we needed to go there in the first place. But yeah. it, And also, like, the fact that it happened, so it was just like, here's a book that's just, like, happy, going along, sexual smallpox, whatever. And all of a sudden, like two-thirds of the way through or like whenever it is it's like closer to the end i think or like the yeah. middle and it's like random assault and it's it just felt so like why like why did we need this to be a hero because we needed some dramatic stakes and so alexander can swoop in and save her yeah it was very unnecessary um so in the aftermath of that uh eliza keeps pretending that she's sick so she puts the wedding off um, and Hamilton disappears in the meantime, and later on they find his horse covered in blood, and they're like, oh no, the worst has happened. And, like, the day of her wedding is approaching, and she and her aunt had written to her mother to try and get them to call the wedding off, explaining what would, had happened. And they haven't heard back from Albany, and it's the day of the wedding, and everything's the worst. But then... Hamilton comes riding into town on a horse and like proposes to her and her parents are with him and they are like, yeah, no, definitely this guy, like go with that. And she passes out from joy, relief. I don't know. Cause she's a uh, lady. <laughs> and so the whole story comes out that he had gone up there to tell them what had happened because he knew anything that Eliza wrote in a letter would because she's a lady with lady sensibilities she wouldn't have told them the extent of what went down and they needed to know so that she didn't end up with this cad and on the way he stumbled upon a british like group of bandits who were attacking uh travelers and he came across a letter from benedict arnold to yes. john andre <laughs> And rode the rest of the rest of the way to Albany and uh, told them about like this because at this point Benedict Arnold is still on their side. John Andre is a very well known like British fucking uh, officer who was who at the Hamilton ball had and, a huge crush on. Yeah, and who like uh, flirted with Eliza at the ball. Yes, um, which was funny because then like later on Hamilton brings it up and he acts all jealous. Where like. In real life, Hamilton had such a crush on Andre that, like, he begged Washington to, like, let him die a gentleman's death and to, like, <laughs> spare him and wrote letters to various people, including John Lawrence, about how beautiful he was and how he was too beautiful to be a bad guy. Yeah. And Lawrence basically was like, fuck this guy. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, side note. <laughs> but yeah, I, I gotta find it. I'll link to the letter. Like, there literally is a letter where Hamilton says the historical equivalent of he's too beautiful to die. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, so, you know, once he was at Albany at the Schuyler mansion, he explained both the spy plot and what had happened with Eliza and uh, this guy, Harry Livingston. So they all rushed down to save Eliza from her marriage. And they do so. And she and Hamilton are able to get engaged and get married. And they all live happily ever after. Well, not really, because we all know how this ends. <laughs> but. Happily middle after. Yeah. Um, and that whole, like, the whole plot with John Andre and Benedict Arnold, again, was not something that was discovered by Hamilton. It was discovered, I believe, by Benjamin Talmadge? I don't know. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. You're my Hamilton historian, so... <laughs> As much as I know, you know ten times more, and that's why I rely on you for all my needs. I will rely on you for my John Lawrence story. <laughs> yes, good. Do that, because I know a lot about John Lawrence. I don't know as much about Hamilton or even Lawrence as a lot of people that I know on the internet, but I know more than Melissa De La Cruz. Right. Uh, I mean, you got, I, you got the Hamilton trivia epaulets, so... I, uh, Renata and I played Hamilton trivia um, with a couple of our friends last week, earlier this week, and uh, we won. And the winners got to wear epaulets at the end of each round, and we had them for almost every round. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Also, our team name was the don't throw away your shot emojis, which is woman with crossed arm emojis, trash can emoji, gun emoji, which <laughs> caused some problems. Yes, but not I, as not as many problems as the fact that there were three teams named Anne Peggy. Yes. Um, I I wrote out that under team name on every round. Woman with crossed arms emoji, throwing away trash emoji, gun emoji, and bless her heart, uh, Mackenzie, the who was she's the events coordinator at Trident, who's actually our next guest, uh, read them out loud every time until we told her what they meant. <laughs> It was good times. <laughs> uh, anyway. The I point is, the point is, Kate knows a lot of shit about Hamilton. Yes, the most important things. Like, he thought that John Andre was too pretty to die. Um, That's what everyone should take away from this. <laughs> one more, like, funny, actual historical thing, side note, that just, like, the irony made me laugh so much. There's a part in the book early on where he talks about, like, telling his friend John Lawrence about the attributes that he wanted in a wife and how Eliza fit so many of them. Uh, the letter where he says that to Lawrence is, like, essentially a joke. <laughs> he lists all of those things and then ends it by saying, like, the historical equivalent of, JK, I don't actually want to get married. Uh, I mostly just wrote this out to razz you a little bit. And also because I wanted to talk to you for longer. And uh, now I'm ending the letter and I miss you. Come home soon. This is also the letter that has a portion crossed out because it was so sexual towards Lawrence that uh, Hamilton's son didn't want it published. And they used it as evidence for how much he loved Eliza. It was also written well before he met Eliza. 
Yeah, that just makes no sense. Anyway, there's some more historical facts for you. Yay. I know all the gay ones. (laughs) (laughs) The most important ones, let's be honest. Lots of the book. Wait, sorry. I I am on gold medicine, and I feel like I might have blacked out in the middle of this. Did you talk about the part where there's the scare with the vial of smallpox? Oh, no, no. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, we we should discuss that. Okay, I thought you wanted to take take the reins, which is why you brought it up. But well, so I well first I genuinely wanted to make sure that you hadn't already said it because I was like maybe I spaced out. So <laughs> somewhere in the midst of all of this, oh the the general who is the father of like the gross dude that Eliza's supposed to marry, like comes to the house and is like, "How dare you? Like Eliza will be lucky to marry my son." Like patriarchy. And then Eliza's aunt is like, excuse you, like, do you know that, um, like, Eliza's a lady and, like, whatever, and also, we've been doing the smallpox inoculations, and I've got a vial of it here, and, like, if you don't go away, I'm gonna get smallpox on you. And the general's like, ah, and he leaves. And then (laughs) Eliza's like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, it's just, like, smelling salts or whatever, I just didn't think he'd know better. (laughs) It was just the oddest, like, it, it was the weirdest retaliation that came, that I'd seen in a while, and it, it, was, it was just so strange, like, if you don't leave, I'm gonna give you smallpox, and was like, oh, this is how they were in the 1800s, that's, like, the epitome of, like, how you tortured someone, I guess. It's like a scene out of a James Bond movie. <laughs> yes. It was ridiculous. I mean, much of this book was ridiculous. But that was just, like, the the crowning, like, the, the crown jewel of WTF. <laughs> like, it just goes back to the whole, like, the way this book was, like, so over the top and so, uh, like, not even historically inaccurate, but just everything was thrown in there to make it seem, like, more dramatic and more YA and... I feel like if it had gone through maybe another few drafts, someone would have realized uh, maybe this is not the smartest thing to put in here. Or maybe you should tone this down. Or maybe you should remove this part. Yeah. Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on editors. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... It, I. Mm, there were a lot of... Yeah. Yeah. All right, do we have anything else to say about the book, or are we ready for dramatic readings? Let's get in it. All right. Uh, So the first dramatic reading is going to be at the beginning where we talked about Eliza's refusal to wear a dress to a ball because she's too patriotic. Uh, And I'm going to read Eliza, and Andrea is going to read Eliza's Maid Dot. It's going to be great. (laughs) only then did eliza notice the gown hanging on a dress form in the corner of the room she caught her breath the gown was undeniably gorgeous with a burgundy overskirt and pale green brocade petticoats it sagged awkwardly in the middle however without a pannier pannier whatever to hold up its ample skirts which is what dot held in her hands when she turned from the wardrobe Eliza did her best to focus on the tangle of straps and slats of the pannier, 
or whatever, um, <laughs> which looked as cumbersome as a carriage horse's harness rather than the gorgeous gown. But I told Mama I don't want a fancy gown, she wailed. It's unseemly for civilians to be dressed in frippery when our soldiers are fighting for our freedom in rags. Dot shrugged. Oh, sorry. I'm... <laughs> I'm... It's here now. And you didn't ask her to have it made, she stifled a giggle. And it's not like our boys can wear it to battle. Eliza frowned, unwilling to give in. It's not right. For the past year, I have spent all my time canvassing the ladies of Albany to spend less on themselves and more on the war effort. If I appear in a gown as sumptuous as this, they'll think I'm a hypocrite. If you don't appear in it, Dot said, your mother will jerk a knot in your neck. She grabbed the loose end of the bow, clinching the bodice of Eliza's dress, and gave it a sharp tug. Eliza slid across the bed and out of her maid's reach. And that hue is much, much too red for my coloring. I'll look like a bruised peach. A little powder, Dot said practically, reaching again for the ribbons on Eliza's bodice. Eliza was shaking with fury. This is so manipulative of Mama. She must know it contravenes all of my principles. And she shouldn't be wasting so much money on a dress when the family fortunes are so tight. Dot bit back a smile, which Eliza wouldn't have seen because her eyes were still glued to the gown. Don't put it on for your mother. Put it on for Colonel Hamilton, she teased. Dot had been spending too much time talking to Peggy, it seemed. Eliza almost snarled. She did not care a whit what the celebrated soldier would think, nor what any man would think. She dressed for comfort, not for competition. But Miss Eliza, pleaded Dot, your mother... Fine, fine, I'll wear it, she said, as if she were agreeing to spend the day with her spinster Aunt Rensselaer, who was so pious that all she would allow her nieces to do was to read to her from the Bible for hours on end, and so deaf that they had to shout themselves hoarse to be heard. Besides, she knew full well Mrs. Schuyler's wrath would fall on Dot if she did not put on the dress. I suppose we'd better get started. It will take at least an hour to put it on. But she was interrupted by a pair of peremptory claps from outside the door. Girls, inspection time. The first guests will be arriving any minute. Mrs. Schuyler may have been the wife of a general, but there were times when Eliza thought her mother sounded more like a Prussian instructor before drill. With glee, Eliza realized there was no time to put on the fancy dress now. She's so much unlike the other girls. It's true. Extra. All right. The next one is the sexy smallpox vaccine. And in this one, I will be Alex. uh, Andrea will be Eliza. And Renata will be Aunt Gertrude. Prepare yourselves because it's going to be so sexy. (laughs) Uh, I had assumed the good doctor's wife would be doing this. Are we quite sure, Miss Schuyler, uh, well, that she knows what she's doing? Quite certain indeed, sir. And I'm confident the 200 troops who have already sat in this same chair for her would attest to it as well. Uh, well, if it's good enough for my men, then I suppose it's good enough for me, too. Uh, Colonel, shall we say... Ahem, this is not my first time in the saddle. Now, if you'll just give me your forearm and relax, it will all be done in no time. 
I'm convinced. Oh, I guess. Wait, who's? I was. This narrative is drop bunching back and forth because this seems like this is from Alex, but it definitely is from Eliza elsewhere. Whatever. Uh, unconvinced. Just another reason why this book is nonsense. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Unconvinced but stealing himself like the dutiful soldier he was, Alex extended his arm with a face full of misgiving. Are you ready for me, sir? I am that. Eliza blushed, and when she hesitated, he took the up... Oh, sorry. This is like... <laughs> I'm reading this out loud. It's like... Yeah, um... Sorry, so that was apparently still me. Uh, Eliza <laughs> blushed, and when she hesitated, he took the opportunity to address her again. Will it hurt? Only if you let it, she said sternly. You wound, you wound me, mademoiselle. Colonel, really, it is a mere scratch in comparison to the dangers of the battlefield. Ah, but I am exposed mostly to the dangers of the inkwell, if you remember. He was teasing. Nope, that's Eliza now. Mm-hmm. He, he was teasing, and the twinkle in his eye was hard to ignore. I do, she said, now blushing even more furiously. It was unkind of me and my sisters, especially as I have heard you survived several battles since then. I was lucky. The others, not so much. She looked up at him then, met his eyes, and tried to stop her hands from shaking. It was truly frustrating how his presence affected her. She was right to keep him from visiting her. Her uncle kept teasing her that there was no safer place than their home with Colonel Hamilton guarding the post road. Please, he said, and she looked down once more at his tensely corded arm. She felt his gaze upon her, but quickly set her face straight to get to the work at hand. She took firm hold of his arm and drew the rake across his wrist, scoring sharp red welts in his skin, drawing blood. She Then she folded the poultice over the little wound and wrapped it expertly in place, finishing it off with a soft squeeze. Only this time, she held the squeeze for a fraction longer than she had for the hundreds of other soldiers who'd come before him. Alex must have felt it, too, because the doubt dropped from his face and a tenderness creeped into his eyes. He put his free hand over hers and left it there. I am glad to see you well, Miss Schuyler. I was worried about you. Eliza gave a brisk nod. Thank you for your concern. I am fully recovered. I see. And yet, you have not graced us with your presence at the town's social delights. Are you keeping track of my whereabouts, Colonel? I must admit, I was disappointed not to see you at the Marquis de Chal-someone-French ball the other day, or at the dinner hosted by Baron von Steuben. I have been here, Colonel, she said simply. Every day at headquarters? Asked the handsome soldier. Every day. Yeah, wow. There is quite a bit of narrative jumping in there. Yeah. Sorry, I was like, <laughs> I didn't. I mean, it wasn't. Until I went to read it, that the narrative jumping was kind of all over the place, which I guess is the point of this reading. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't your fault because we told you that it was going to be from Eliza and then <laughs> half of it was from Alex. Surprise! <laughs> Not enough post to no flags in the world. <laughs> All right, so the last one um, is the dinner where Angelica roasts Alexander in front of all of their friends. Uh, and Renata will be Eliza, Andrea will be Alexander, and I will be Angelica. See how well the narrative holds up right. in this. 
Well, one certainly can't fault your resourcefulness. You have certainly made a name for yourself and done great service to your country, despite the fact that you come from, well, nothing. Alex startled and coughed. I must say, Mrs. Schuyler, I never had a compliment feel quite so much like a knife in the bowels. Angelica colored beneath her powder. Oh, damn it all. Peggy tittered, Eliza gasped, and Gertrude reached for a glass and downed it in a single quaff. Good God, Miss Schuyler. Have you quite lost your senses? Angelica put her left hand on Eliza's right and squeezed visibly, but her eyes were trained on Alex. You must know, Colonel Hamilton, how inordinately fond we all are of you. Even my father, whom you tried to imprison, has nothing but praise for the alarcity with which you have performed your duties. But I am honor-bound to remind you that the Schuylers are one of the oldest families in New York, with connections to the Van Rensselaers, the Van Cortlands, and the Livingstons on our mother's and father's sides. Your own people do not have the same depth as do ours, neither of blood nor, more pointedly, of pocket. To see my sister wedded to a man whom she loves and admires would give me nothing but joy, but you can't possibly expect to claim her with a bag of oranges, can you? Alex glanced at Eliza to see how she reacted to her sister's words. She was clearly aghast, and Alex took this as a sign that Angelica's words, if ostentatiously, ostent, ostensibly on Eliza's behalf, were not also at her behest. Peggy and Stephen looked uh, looked embarrassed, whereas Aunt Gertrude's eyes, when they met his, were positively heartbroken. But the most unhappy person at the table, save perhaps him, was clearly Angelica, and Alex was once again convinced that she spoke on behalf of someone else. It could only be the general and Mrs. Schuyler. Mrs. Schuyler, he said then, turning back to the eldest sister, at the risk of public hubris, may I remind you that I am the chief aide-de-camp to His Excellency General George Washington, the commander-in-chief of the Continental Ar Army. On behalf and on behalf of our on his behalf and on behalf of our country, I have corresponded with the representatives of no fewer than four kings, thirteen princes, twenty-one dukes, forty-seven earls, and more marquises and counts and knights are on than you could fit on the island of Manhattan. Further, in my defense, my name my name, I tell you, and not my father's or my grandfather's or some other moldering ancestor, my own name is known to every American of any distinction whatsoever from Ambassador Franklin to Thomas Jefferson and James Madison to John Adams and John Hancock to John Jay. Why, even Patrick Henry and Robert Morris know me by name, and it is by their high standards and not by a list of names in a kirkyard that I judge myself and expect others to judge me. Angelica listened to Adel Alex rattle off his list with a growing smile on her face. That put her in her place, he thought, but he had underestimated the eldest Schuyler sister. That's quite an impressive roster of names, sir. It sounds like my mother's Christmas card list. It took Alex a moment to realize she was toying with him. Christmas cards? But it was not until Peggy tittered and Eliza covered her eyes with her hands that he realized her joke had undone all the work of his list of accomplishments and contacts. The reaction from the others came gradually, with Church spitting out an uneasy chuckle, while Stephen searched everyone's facial expressions for clues as how to respond. When Aunt Gertrude joined in with an almost masculine guffaw, Alex realized Angelica's trick had hit its mark again. But someone came to his rescue. Oh, come now, Angelica. 
You know Mama has only ever corresponded with two kings, and one of those was an exile from some Italian isle that is hardly larger than the pastures. Said Eliza, setting the joke squarely back on her sister. That was a lot of monologuing. I mean, I guess that's what Alex is known for, but that was still a lot of monologuing. (laughs) Yeah, this was a weird book. (laughs) I'm almost ashamed that it took me longer than it should have to actually get through it, but I blame that on other life things because it really shouldn't have taken me that long if it was not that great. Although I guess that means I wasn't as into it as I thought I was. All right. So are we ready to play some Would You Rather? Yeah. All right. Would you rather get a smallpox inoculation or wear whale oil perfume? Which we didn't dig into that as much. The lady, her chaperone who sprained her ankle, in addition to being like fat and annoying, also wears a lot of whale oil perfume. And then she smells like it and it's like a whole thing. Uh, so I would definitely prefer to get a smallpox inoculation because I am very sensitive to scents and probably would like pass out if I had to wear very strong perfume. And also I don't want to get smallpox, especially if it turns out that Renata has smallpox. <laughs> and I was like sitting next to her the other day and sharing it's, a pen with her. It's so too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a vegetarian, so I'll get a smallpox inoculation. Yeah, I will go smallpox inoculation, too, um, mostly because, hey, if it's, I mean, it'll keep me safe, and also, if it's supposed to be sexual, maybe I can get something out of it. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a win-win for me. Maybe there's a cute girl there. No one knows. All right. Would you rather sleep in a barn or a house of ill repute? I'm going to sleep in a barn because there's probably a bunch of cats in there. That's true. Um, I don't have any problems sleeping in a house of ill repute. Like, whatever. I don't have a reputation that I care about getting tarnished by being seen with sex workers and whatever. So, (laughs) yeah, I have no problem with that. It's just going to be so loud in there. You're not going to fall asleep, though. I mean, it's true, but there's going to be bugs in the barn, and you know how I feel about bugs. Mm, That's a great point. I would still sleep in a barn, though. I feel like I would just be comforted by all the animals there. Plus, it would give me that feel of like I don't. I'm I'm surrounded by people too much. I just want to be alone. Okay, and finally, would you rather marry a rich dude to help save your family from financial ruin, or marry a a poor noble dude for love? Uh, This is a variations of this are a frequent would you rather on this podcast so you all know that i'm going to say that i would rather marry a rich dude because a if i have to marry a dude i might as well get something out of it and i'm very easily bought um i don't know i think i mean i go back and forth on this. this is actually like a very tough question for me because then I look at it in like my own impending life (laughs) where (laughs) I am not rich so I'm like oh maybe I should be with someone who makes more money but I wouldn't if I since we are talking about like fantasy my life is pretty much already set at this point I will 
marry a rich dude because maybe I can actually have money to do things as opposed to having no money. Plus, you could always, like, set something out and, like, have a girl on the side or something. It'll be great. Don't don't underestimate me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes the question is, like, a specific rich dude. Like, would you rather marry Christian Grey? And this is just, like, a rich dude. So, like, you know, if we were asking about like, what's his name? Henry Livingston? Like, that guy's a dick. I don't want to marry him. But this could be, like, a decent rich dude in the way that the question has been phrased. So, on the other hand, the other side implies that I do love the dude. And, like, I mean, online dating is so hard. So if this question has already found someone that I do love, like, mmm... Mm. Maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll take my chances with him, and then just with the with the poor with the poor dude. You might get smallpox. I'm like, oh wait, what? You might get smallpox because he's too poor to afford smallpox inoculation. (laughs) Am I losing my health insurance? Oh, that, <laughs> I you got the inoculation. I still have my job in this scenario, don't I? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I still have my blue cross. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, g- given I mean the scenario doesn't say, it just says my family has financial ruin, so. I'll assume that I saw my health insurance from my job, and so I'll I'll take the poor dude, and we'll we'll just um we'll set up a GoFundMe. <laughs> All right. Uh so that's Would You Rather, and I think we once again learned about how easily I would be bought. <laughs> that could be one of our Patreon reward tiers. Is just buy Kate. <laughs> <laughs> For for three thousand dollars a month. (laughs) Well, no, wait, because there's three of us, so I guess it would have to be for like ten thousand dollars a month. (laughs) Kate will be your capped woman, (laughs) (laughs) and you can also come over and pet Duarte whenever you want. (laughs) I like this. All right. So for Reader's Advisory, we did do literally an entire episode where we just talked about Reader's Advisory for Hamilton-related things. So we'll link to that. It was episode 38. Yes. And beyond that, when we were talking before about doing Hamilton trivia, um, the prize for Hamilton trivia was uh, the Chernow biography, the Hamilton, and uh, this new Alexander Hamilton graphic novel by Jonathan Hennessy, uh, and that's with John Greenwood on art. And I haven't actually read it yet, but like it's over on my table, and I all I know about it is that Joanne Freeman, the historian, has a cameo in it, and I love her, so it's probably worth it just for that. Well, and, and he was the guy who hosted the trivia, also, so he seemed pretty fun. Yeah, he made he made some choices at the end there, but well, listen, can forgive and forget. Pobin's nerve act. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, here's something that we found out about too late to include in our Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter episode, and I we did link to it, but I just want to mention it now. 
There is a young adult novel called Queer is a $5 Bill by Lee Wind, or perhaps Lee Wind. I don't know. Um, and that is a young adult novel about a teen who finds journals that, like, basically prove that Abraham Lincoln was queer. And so it's about that. And um, their publication for the novel was pulled, so they're just publishing it serially, serially on their website. So there's like a few chapters up now of Queer's a $5 bill. And uh, we'll link to that so you can read some historical and also contemporary as like a mix um, fiction about queer historical figures. And wasn't there also like a companion nonfiction about different queer figures in history? Well, they were they wrote one that got pulled and that's not available on their website, I don't think, right now. There's another okay. one that somebody else wrote called Queer There and Everywhere that does okay. include Abraham Lincoln, but does not include Alexander Hamilton. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, just read some fan fiction. Just read it. It's There's a lot of Hamilton fan fiction out there, both historically based and based on the musical. Um, there's lots of good stuff with Alexander and Eliza. There's lots of good stuff with literally any other two characters that you could name together. There's, there's, it's good. Just read it. There's a lot of it. And I'm not even, like, not even mine. You don't have to read mine. You can read other people's. It's been a while since we linked to it. We'll link to the fanfiction 101 that we made as a guide to help you find fanfiction. Because it can be intimidating to dig in if you are not familiar with fandoms. Yeah, and if you specifically are looking for fanfiction about Hamilton and Lawrence, give me a, a ring on the Twitters uh, or email, and I do actually have a rec list for that. So, um, One other quick thing I'll give a shout-out to, because I just finished reading it, is called Murder, Magic, and What We Wore by Kelly Jones, who also wrote, um, what is it, Exceptional Chickens for the... Unusual Chickens for the Exceptional Poultry Farmer? And you showed yeah, the chickens something. book that we both really liked last year. And this is a yeah, completely superhero chickens. Yeah, superhero chickens. The X Men of Chickens. Um yes. this is a different turn. It's historical fiction. It's like it's the kind of thing that I feel like maybe would be labeled steampunk, but I don't think it's really that exactly. But it's like historical fiction, um, set around um it's in England, it's around like the Napoleonic era because Napoleon is like a figure in the plot, but anyway, it's historical fiction, and but also with magic because the main character can sew like magical clothing, and I especially like it as a counterpoint to Alex and Eliza because Kelly Jones is so thoughtful about like how women use fashion to communicate and like what it all means and what fashion can say about someone beyond just like I'm so patriotic I wear cotton. Yeah, I believe the uh, genre heading that you're looking for is alternate history. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I, I feel like, it, whatever, yes? Because steampunk is a, like a subgenre of alternate history. Yeah, I, I I just feel like it, like, anyway, never mind, I don't, Okay. I didn't mean to go down this. Yes, alternate okay, history. Okay, that was fine. Magical history. Yeah. Um, well, we'll, veer, we'll veer out. Yes. Uh, Andrew, did you have any books you wanted to recommend? Um, I I feel like I should, but I didn't think of anything this week has been super crazy. Um, That's fine. I wasn't trying to call you out. I just wanted to give you a chance to talk if you, you did. You were calling me out like on a Saturday morning. How dare you? Andrea, don't you read? 
Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I read too much. Um, I, feel like, I feel like I should have like just something to like counteract this, but I'm still trying to get through freaking Hamilton Chernow book for like two years. So that's the only other Hamilton thing that I have actually been reading. <laughs> it's very slow going. It is very long. <laughs> it's yes. very long. And it's my, uh, it's like my bedtime books. I refuse, I have the actual like physical copy and I refuse to carry it around while I commute around New York. So mm-hmm. it's, I just keep it on my bedside table, except like I never get more than two pages into it when I do that because I'm so tired at the end of the night. I just don't spend time reading like I should. So it's a really bad cycle. I did, I, uh, Ron, Ron Chano's newest book is about, um, Ulysses Grant, and I requested it when it was on NetGalley over the summer, and I, I got it, and I was like, ooh, cool, and now I'm like, who was I kidding? Like, I'm not gonna read this. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't touched it. I was just like, oh yeah, like, Ron Chano, I like Hamilton, and I'm like, I don't care that much about Graham, I'm not gonna read this book. <laughs> There's too many other books. One totally unrelated recommendation, uh, just because it's always in my head these days, is I just saw Ghost Quartet, which is a Dave Malloy musical that was being put on at the NYTW's Black Box Theater. And uh, you should listen to that because it's really good and there's ghosts in it. And uh, actually, ghosts are not actually related to Hamilton in the long run. They are really just in my head because of the subject of my... Never mind. It's not really related, but you should listen to it anyway. (laughs) I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say "Gentleman's Guide to Virtue and Vice," um, Vice and Virtue. Oh, yes, you should read the Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, which is by our next guest, Mackenzie Lee, and it is very good. And it is the book that got me out of my reading slump this year. If you remember reading about that on uh, our blog, yeah. so and definitely it's, check it's, that out. It's not of this era, but it's historical fiction and like whatever. It's it's close to this it's, era. It's like. 10 years after this era yeah don't be so picky just read it yeah it's good it's got a bisexual main character a good queer romance you'll like oh. it what i said that's all you can ask for oh yeah cool all right so we'll have these and maybe some other stuff that we think of it up on our website worstbestsellers.com and we'll move on to our candy pairing where we'll suggest a candy to go along with this book in addition to cough drops, which I need. My candy pairing for this book is a uh, picked over box of Russell Stover's candy without a map. Because uh, it looks great and I get my hopes up, but then it's just disappointment after disappointment. Because all that's left is like those weird cherry things and all those hard toffees that hurt your teeth. I have kind of the same uh, like the same thought process, but mine is peppermint coconut. You're like two things that look like they should go really well together and that I like and that by all accounts should really work. But when you eat it, you realize it just doesn't work at all. And it's completely different than what you thought. And you don't really want to ever eat it again. Um, this is very specific to me personally. This is a, a specific chocolate orange that I just found in my cabinet because I really, much like the musical Hamilton, I really like chocolate oranges, and um, and I'm excited about them. But then I found this one in my cabinet that I must have gotten last Christmas and forgotten about, and so now I'm afraid to eat it because it's probably not very good. And so this is like that, like, 
hastily purchased and then forgotten about chocolate orange of a book. <laughs> That's very specific. Exactly. Yes. I it's like not it. it's not all chocolate oranges cuz like cuz all chocolate oranges are good. Just this one I'm afraid is bad. <laughs> okay. Um I guess we should move on to our favorite game, the yeah. rock paper snicked. Where uh, I will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he was in this book, and Renata will say who Wolverine would be if he was in this book, and uh, Andrea will pick which one is better, or she can pick paper, which is to leave the book as it is. So, if the Rock were in this book, I mean, I'm I'm just gonna lean into this, and it's gonna be totally idtastic and. <laughs> honest this is honestly how i would rewrite this book with the rock and i would like legit just start from scratch and stick a little bit closer to history in places and the rock's main role would be like this older confidant to hamilton and lawrence and he goes down to south carolina with lawrence and he talks john out of like his stupid dumb suicidal death skirmish and he makes sure he gets back to new york to like recuperate uh with the hamiltons for a while at which point it becomes more or less obvious to eliza that like there's all this pining going on so they enter into this whole like sort of proto poly arrangement and then martha and francis come over from england uh and uh to join john and martha um you know what i'm just gonna go on full on it here uh martha's gay too and she and john were each other's beards or something 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 self-disgust and shame something something martha gets pregnant and the long and short of it is that she's totally cool with this whole proto poly thing happening and it like helps awaken something in eliza and i'm gonna go write this fan fiction now (laughs) sounds good well, if Wolverine were in this book, I think he would just sort of single-handedly win the Revolutionary War just, like, in hand-to-hand combat, which would be <laughs> hand-to-claw combat, uh, which would leave Hamilton and his squad free to pursue glory via dance battles. Excellent. Um, this is actually really hard. <laughs> Because I really like both of them, and, like, I just really love the idea of, like, the Revolutionary War being over in five seconds, and then Hamilton and John Lawrence, in my view, having dance battles. Also, I just keep thinking of that one scene, uh, or that one moment in Story of Tonight, like, with the original cast, and how they all just... Mostly, like, John Lawrence just dances and they make dumb dance moves and it makes me laugh. Um, So I love those four. Um, But I also really love Kate. I also maybe (laughs) baited you a little. (laughs) I I also feel like I was really baited with this, given the gay and poly stuff. Um, That's, like, right up my alley. So... As much as I do love dance battles, I I feel like I have to go with this fanfic that now needs to be written when Kate finds time in her busy life. That's very fair. That's fair. But just know if Kate hadn't baited me as much, it totally would have been dance battles. You know, I mean, and the dance battles can just happen in our hearts at any time. Just at any time. It's true. There's no reason dance battles can't happen in this story. Great point. Holly dance battles, you guys. <laughs> what do you guys think the moral of the story is? 
Uh, my moral of the story is uh, hashtag justice for Angelica 2K17 and hashtag let John Lawrence be gay 2K17. So I frequently have chosen as a moral of the story ban men, but in this case I've chosen ban smallpox. Well, Why? then I'm taking up that mantle and just saying that men are useless because that just seems to be the running theme and with everyone putting Alex down and all the terrible things that men do. Like, why do men even need to exist in this book? It could have just been a poly love story with the Skylar sisters, which would have been weird incest, but let's just... I'll lean into it. (laughs) Just ignore that. Well, there. I mean, there was Kitty Livingston. Um, There could have been other women. This is true. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to Duarte's corner, where my cat Duarte shares his thoughts about the book. <coughs> Duarte, I know, I know you, um, you feel a lot of affinity for cats that are named after historical figures. And I, I know you're really <laughs> bummed that they didn't mention that part about Martha Washington's cat. But I don't even, I don't even think that was true. But I think you're right that she should have. They all should have had cats named Alexander Hamilton for sure. And, you know, I kind of agree that they probably missed a really great opportunity to put cats in the barn. Um, But, you know, cuts had to be made. And we already talked about how this was, you know, maybe a little hastily thrown together. I mean, you're right, though. Like, he gets woken up by that rooster, which is like such a cliche. Why he's already in the barn? Just have a cat jump on his face. I'm with you. Hashtag cats in the barn 20k17. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag and the silver spoon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I wish this book was better. I wish yeah, it were I- better. I think that's just my closing. Like I, like I said, I was really excited to pick this up, and especially because I didn't know it was happening until I saw all the promo for it. And like, oh, this seems like so right up my alley because I love YA and I love Hamilton and I love Eliza and like I love Alex and it just, yeah, not didn't hold up the way that I wanted it to. And it's left me with these like contradictory desires, which one. Um, another friend sent a link to another Hamilton-based romance about Eliza, and I like I'm burned. I'm like I'm I don't know that I can read it. I have to wait until people I trust have read it and reported back because this one pissed me off so much. Uh, but simultaneously, like I do really long for someone to write like the poor, depressed, suicidal, gay John Lawrence YA novel of my heart. So, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Well, I guess you could say our closing thoughts as, you know, so often we're like, just watch the movie, just watch the show, just watch the musical, just listen to the musical. Yes. Musical's great, if you didn't then, already know. <laughs> if you've been living under a rock. <laughs> if you've been living under Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> If I was living under there, I would just never come out. <laughs> also, I feel like if you were living under Dwayne The Rock Johnson, now that he and Lynn are besties, like, you still would know. That's, That's true. true. Yeah, you'd have the best of both worlds right there. Oh. 
Would you rather live under Dwayne Rock Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> or there is no or. <laughs> or have small pox. <laughs> All right, I guess that's my main closing thought, is yes, I would rather do that. <laughs> um, if you want some more of this whole business of ours, you can like us on Facebook. We're the worst bestsellers. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're worst bestseller with no S. Because you guys, the S is for smallpox. We don't uh, want it around. We don't need that. Um, you can join our Goodreads group, where there's usually some good gifs happening. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. Uh, And if you do, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it moves us up in the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, we're going to have to threaten you with a vial of smallpox or smelling salts that we say are smallpox. But will you really know? No, you won't. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers, where you can pledge a small recurring monthly donation that we will use to do things like uh, buy new equipment and pay our editor and go on field trips related to uh, the books like we did with the Lizzie Borden episode. And there are reward tiers for people who uh, pledge to follow us and everybody wins and it's great. Yay. Um, if you want more of me personally, well, me and Duarte personally, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Renata Snacks. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 Across. And if you want more fun thoughts from me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore A Towers. That underscores my favorite thing in my Twitter name, you guys. <laughs> and we'll be back in two weeks with The Amorous Adventures and Intrigues of Aaron Burr by Anonymous. And yes, that is the historical Aaron Burr erotica, <laughs> in case you're curious. Ugh, get ready. Get ready to be so horny, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> We will see you then. (laughs) Bye. 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 I love historical hip hop, but I hate vaccines.